If you guys would turn to John 6.55, we want to look at John 6.55. One of the things that that we do is we celebrate the Lord's Supper regularly, and um, we know that it was the night Jesus was betrayed, that he instituted it, only a few hours from the cross, and our directory of public worship, it tells the minister, it directs ministers to always talk about a sacrament before we serve it or administer it. But it also says there's uh, from time to time to reflect on it at a little bit longer period of time, to actually preach maybe a sermon or more than one on the Lord's Supper or on baptism. And so this morning I want to take that advice and bring to you a sermon on true food and true drink and the words of institution the apostle paul gives us in first corinthians eleven twenty three through 26 these are the words we normally read right before we serve the lord's supper and they go like this for i received from the lord that which i also delivered to you that the lord jesus in the night in which he was betrayed took bread And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup also after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So in just a few minutes, we're going to eat some small pieces of bread, and we're going to drink from some very small cups of wine, and we are going to celebrate this supper. On the night Jesus was betrayed, or or in John chapter 6, as you turn there to John 6.55, you'll notice that we are in the uh, time when Jesus fed 5,000 men. He took not five, I tell you what, since last week and I preached on the five smooth stones a little bit, I keep wanting to say five smooth stones and two small fish, but it's not five smooth stones, it's five barley loaves and two small fish. And he serves this to 5,000 men. We're not counting the women, we're not counting the children. Some estimate up to 15,000, maybe even 25,000 people uh, are at this event. And Jesus says these words uh, as he preaches about serving the 5,000 later, he says these words as he preaches what's known as the bread of life discourse. In verse 55, he says, For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. The word of the Lord. Now, in John 6, it's been a long day. It's been a very long day. And... He is there feeding the people, and he says these words, My flesh is true food. My flesh is real food. My flesh is, my blood is true drink. And then in verse 58, he says this, This is the bread. Not the bread he's talking about, the bread that came down out of heaven during the the wilderness wanderings. Not that bread. I am the bread. He's talking about himself. I am the bread. I am the wine. I am the bread that came down out of heaven. Now this morning, what I want to do is I want to give you the comparison of Christ's body and his blood with physical food and drink. I want to make a comparison. I want to look at a contrast between Christ's body and blood and say that his body and his blood is far better than any physical food or drink. And then finally, we're going to celebrate. We're going to have communion. 
We're going to think about what we've compared. We're going to look at the contrast, and then we're going to eat, and we're going to drink with Jesus at the table. First of all, the comparison. And there's five things I want you to take note of. How does Christ's body and blood resemble physical food and drink? Physical food and drink are absolutely necessary to sustain life. We all know that. In John chapter 6, Jesus has been teaching all day long on the kingdom of God. Jesus has been healing people and being a shepherd. Uh, it's hard for me not to backtrack just a little bit. Jesus was wanting to go to this grassy place and to be with his disciples alone because John the Baptist had just been killed. And he was trying to go and be some rest and relaxation, but all the people saw him going where they were going. And so they began to, you know, hey, tell each other. And they meet, they tell, you tell your friend, you tell your friend. And by the time they get over there, there's no rest and relaxation. Jesus sees them as sheep without a shepherd, and he starts ministering. And so this time of rest and relaxation turns into a lot time of ministry. And in verse 5, Jesus looks at his disciples. He knows what he's going to do, guys. He knows exactly what he's going to do, but he says this, Where are we to buy bread so that these may eat? He, he knows what he's going to do. He wants them to recognize he's the resource. Will they or will they look somewhere else? And so Philip, he fails the test. Philip goes, eight months' wages will not buy enough bread for everyone to have just a little bit. In other words, 200 denarii, that's about half, three quarters of the year of work. That won't be enough to buy everybody just a piece. So he fails the test. He should have said, you're the resource, you can do it. But he doesn't. He fails the test. He knows what he's going to do. He's testing his disciples. And so now Andrew steps up to the plate, and I like Andrew. Andrew, he's the one that introduces Peter to Jesus, and we, he introduces the Greeks to Jesus at the end. And we know, I mean, Andrew's a great guy, but he fails the test. This is what he says. Lord, can you hear him in his best Irish accent? Lord, this wee lad over here has five barley loaves and two fish. But what is that among so many? You know? And he fails the test. And so Jesus steps up to the plate. He takes the five barley loaves. He takes two small fish. And he begins to make bread out of bread and fish out of fish right in front of them. I'm sure it tasted really good. Why does Jesus do this? Well, you know why he does it. Because they're hungry. <laughs> they're hungry. They've been there all day. And we all know that we won't be very happy in life if we don't have food. Just think about a baby. If a baby, a baby doesn't cognitively think about food, but a baby's little tummy knows what happens. We know what happens when that baby's tummy's not full. And so that baby begins to let us know, and we make sure we plug the hole with some milk. Everything's good. So we take care of babies. When Joseph's family, when, when Jacob's family was hungry, remember, during the time of the famine, there's seven years that somebody's son was in Egypt already for seven years storing up all that grain, all that extra. And so Jacob sends his sons, he doesn't know, to Joseph, and they bring home the food during the time of famine. So food is vitally important. Well, drink is also important. You know, one of the most popular places, if you read your Old Testament and the New Testament, what is one of the most popular places in the Old and New Testament? The well. And you have to go to the well in the morning. You have to go to the well in the evening, unless you're the Samaritan woman who goes at the noontime because she's ashamed. But you go in the morning, you go in the evening, and you know, what do you do? You get the elixir of life, water. That's the elixir of life. My wife and I used to call the elixir of life 
Dr. Pepper, but it's really water. And so you go in the morning, you go in the evening, and, and, and that's what you do. You get the water, but while you're there, you get news, and while you're there, you meet your friends, and while you're there, you catch up on things, and while you're there, you might meet a stranger and find something new, learn something new. But we go, and we have to have food, we have to have drink, and Jesus tells these disciples, and he tells us, that his flesh is true food, and his blood is true drink for our souls. He even says in John 6, 58, he says, Your fathers ate manna and died. So they went out and they wandered around in the wilderness and God provides all this manna. It comes down from the heavens and they go out and they collect it and they eat it. And then when they were thirsty, he caused water to, to come out of a rock and they drank it. But they still, after they ate that manna that came from heaven, and I'm sure, sure it tastes good, and then that water that came out of the rock, surely it was really pure. <laughs> they still died. And then Jesus says this in verse 57. As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so you who eat me, you will live because of me. Verse 58. This is the bread which came down out of heaven. He who eats this bread will live forever. Verse 53. So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man, and drink His blood. You have no life in yourselves. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. And I will raise him up on the last day. And here's our verse again. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Your souls, my soul, is in absolute need of this true food and this true drink. More than we need any physical food or drink that we're going to have after this service. And I'm glad we're going to have it. But this food and this drink are so absolutely necessary for you. It would be better for you to starve and never to drink again and to die. Starvation, to die, never to drink again than to, to go to, to hell and miss heaven because you had all the food you could ever eat and live sumptuously like the man in Luke 16. You know, I had a guy come, <laughs> that's a voice come to me one time. <laughs> and I, he said, Pastor Wheat, I want to tell you something. I said, okay. He says, he says, you remember that story you told about the dumb phone and the smartphone? I said, yeah, yeah, I do. He said, that, I, that has helped me out so much. But as we were talking about tearing out right eyes and cutting off right arms and, you know, getting rid of sin... And it would be better to, to, to tear your right eye out and enter into heaven without an eye than to go to hell with a full body. And he says, you remember you said that it would be better for me to have a dumb phone that receives calls and makes calls than to have the smartest phone in the world and be hung up watching porn and go to hell. I can go to hell and have a really smart phone. It's more important for you to get rid of all the sin. It's more important for you to eat this food and drink this blood than for you to ever eat again. Mark it down. This food and this drink that we talk about as we eat and drink a little bit later, it's extremely desirable to us as well, isn't it? And we're going to see that Jesus' body and blood is to be extremely desirable to us. When men came to Jesus at these 5,000 were there, that food was desirable because they were hungry and they had followed Him and they exerted themselves and they went there without anything. 
And so when it was time to eat, Jesus makes bread out of bread and fish out of fish. And the next day, you know what the people wanted? They wanted some more. And, but Jesus had left. Now, the, what happened was they wanted to take him and make him their king. So Jesus withdraws from them in the early part of John 6. And he goes up into a mountain and he prays. He comes back down the mountain in the evening. He walks across the water and gets in the boat with his disciples. And they go to the other side. And all those folks who had eaten that bread, they were looking for him. And this is what they said. They finally found him. Verse 25, Rabbi, when did you get here? And this is what Jesus says in verse 26. Truly, truly, I say to you, you seek me not because you saw the signs and what they mean. I'm the resource. I'm the Messiah. But you saw, not, not because you saw the signs, but because you ate the loaves and you were filled. I know what you want. I know you want to take me. I know you want to make me your king. I know you want to make me the guy who unseats Romans, the Rome, Rome's uh, Caesar, Augustus, or Caesar Augustus at the time, probably. I know you want me to be your political ruler. I know you want me to be a bread vending machine. That's what they wanted. They want to be set free. They think of Moses as a deliverer who set the people of God free from Pharaoh, and that was getting rid of that oppression. They see that, and they see Moses as somebody who gave them the provisions and the pleasure that they needed. They had misunderstood it all. So in verse 27, Jesus says this, Do not work for the food which perishes, but for the food which endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. Verse 28, Therefore they said to him, well, What shall we do so we may work the works of God? And Jesus answered and said to them, This is the work of God. Are you ready for it? That you believe in Him whom He has sent. Did you get that tongue-in-cheek statement? <laughs> you want to know the work, the work of God? You want to know and do what God requires? Okay, here's what God requires. This is the work of God. Believe. <laughs> believe in the one that God the Father has sent. Believe in me. And this passage, is, as it continues, you're going to notice that this spiritual teaching was not extremely desirable to them. They were offended at Jesus. He was not extremely desirable to them. They wanted real food. They wanted somebody to set them free from the Caesar. And they wanted that bread. That's what they desired. And similarly, the same thing is going on today. We find physical food and physical drink extremely desirable. We as men, we as women will do everything we can to make sure that food is on the table in the morning, in the noon, in the evening. We will go out and we will get our, our water in the morning, in the evening. We will do everything to make sure that we have food and drink because those things are extremely desirable. And we're just like the people in John 6 unless God opens up our eyes to see the difference. Unless God convicts us of our sin, what we will do is we will want a different president. We will want pleasures. We will want somebody to set us free from our difficulties. We will want only a new job. And sometimes new jobs are not bad, guys. Don't get me wrong. We'll just want the benefits. And we don't see the deeper need of being right with God. And so God has to open up our eyes. He has to change our taste buds. He has to give us new ears and new hearts. You know, I've told this story. I'm, you know, I, I, 
I'm, I'm, I'm a little older. I think I can reflect on this a little bit. I think I would say it like this. You know, why did my preacher back when I was in my 20s and 30s keep saying the same illustrations two or three times a year? And finally, I, you know, the reason is because he wanted me to know that illustration all my life. <laughs> so I'm going to dress this illustration up. But I, I worked in a little, little building that used to be a dentist's office. And Hamilton's was right over here. And I could look out my window and see Hamilton's. And everybody went to Hamilton's. But I only went to Hamilton's twice when I was in California. And everybody loved Hamilton's. My wife and, them, my wife and kids went there a few more times than me. But I, I think I got upset about going to Hamilton's because I ordered a salad. And I think I saw them go down to the grocery store and buy the stuff to make it while I was there. And it took so long but it was really more for ice cream. And so I had one of the kiddos, just think of it, he's over there he's got his waffle cone, got three dips of chocolate chip cookie dough ice cream, and got his face plastered in the chocolate chip cookie dough. His mom comes in and says, Donnie, little Donnie, come to the house. We're going to have lean chicken. We're going to have broccoli, and we're going to have a potato. We're going to have a sweet potato with some brown sugar on it. And he goes, ah! This is un, not extremely desirable to him. These tastes and these smells are offensive to him. But if his mom could change his taste buds, she would do it. And so here he is with his face plastered into his three dips of ice cream and his waffle cone. And she walks in and she's changed his taste buds. And she says, little Donnie, come home. I got the chicken going. I got the sweet potato with the brown sugar on it. I got the broccoli over here. And he throws the ice cream into the garbage and he runs home and he goes for the good stuff. Why does he do it? He does it because somebody changed it. His taste buds. Somebody has made those things that were, those smells and those tastes were so offensive to him, now so extremely desirable to him. And this is what God does with the gospel. God uses the gospel. How do we, how does he do it? Sometimes we've talked, I've talked about my, with my son lately about his, his paper he's writing. And we're sitting here going, Hun, son, son, hun, he's my hun too. I'm going, son, look, God has to do this. God does it with the gospel. God makes this thing that was so offensive, so pleasing, so desirable. We've studied this recently in in Philippians chapter 3. What does Paul do with all his attainments? What does he do with all all of his uh, advantages? He chucks them to the wind. He says, I have to have Christ. I have to have Christ. These things become extremely desirable to us. Well, third, physical food and drink must be radically altered before it can be nourishing to your body. Now, this is where, you know, if you're a doctor, you had to study this. Dr. Thomas, Thomas Holcomb could tell us all about mastication. Before this food that we take in today is any good to us, we have to take it into our mouths. We have to chew it. That's called mastication. And then while that food is in our mouth, a certain amount of starches are broken down by certain enzymes in our mouth. And then it goes down into our stomachs and more, the food is more altered in our stomachs. And then the small intestines break things down into even more basic units so that our bodies are nourished and energized and rebuilt. Christ's body and blood, before it can be helpful to our souls, had to be radically altered. Just like our food. Jesus tells us in John chapter 2, He's going to have to be dissolved into pieces. The temple has to be crushed. Jesus says in John chapter 12 that he has to go into the ground like a grain of wheat and go into pieces. 
Jesus talks about being chewed up by men all throughout his life until the bitter end when they chew him up and spit him out in front of Rome and let them radically alter his body and his blood on the cross. He's going to be crushed like a grape until all the juice flows out so that we can be saved. It says that his appearance was marred beyond any man so that we could drink this food, eat, eat this food and drink this drink. His body had to be radically altered for our salvation. Physical food and drink must be personally received. It, it, it's one thing for it to happen on the cross, but it's something you have to take in, just like the go food, which is your carbs, and the grow food, which is your protein, and the glow food, which is your starchy carbohydrates. You have to take all those in for it to do you any good. And you have to take in this radically altered person, Jesus. You have to take him into your life by faith. Faith is spiritually taking in all that Jesus is, or there's no benefit. You can see what the Bible preaches and teaches about Jesus on the cross. You can talk about what the Bible teaches and preaches about Jesus on the cross. But friend, that's just not enough. You're going to go, we're going to go out, we're going to finish here today. And we're going to go in that room. And I promise you, you're going to see the food. And you're going to smell the food. And some of us are even going to talk about the food. But that's not enough, friend. You've got to go in there and you've got to eat the food for you to enjoy the food. When I go home, my wife, can t- they can testify. When I go home, I lay in the bed for, I think I go to sleep. After this service, I go sound asleep for 20 minutes. Where's, they can come in there and talk. I think that's the most sound sleep I get all my life. After doing the service and being here with y'all, I go lay down 20 minutes. I'm just out. And then I get up. But I don't just smell the food. I don't just look at the food. I eat the food. And you have to take Jesus in. You have to eat him down. You have to drink him up. You must believe in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead. He must dwell in your heart by faith. Jesus says, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink His blood, you have no life in you. Well, I'm going to watch my time here. Fifth, physical food and drink must be daily received. You have to receive it daily. Now, do you know what it's like? Everybody in here know what it means to feel like... What, what the word hypoglycemic means, right? You know that you're kind of low on your car- car- calories and you need to eat because you start feeling a little weak. You start feeling down. I need some food. i got to have some food. And one of the things I did as a personal trainer, I used to train people. If they would uh, take my advice, I told them to, when I was in the hospital, everybody had to at least listen to the advice. <laughs> Six times a day you're supposed to eat. And you need to eat every two hours and 48 minutes if you want to be precise about it. And every time you eat, you're setting yourself up for the next three hours of your day. This is really good advice, by the way. And so you set yourself up for either really good thinking and really being alert, or you set yourself up to have difficulty staying awake. And I used to tell people all these things. 
And so we would go through all of this, and you needed to have maybe a food bar in your pocket in case you started feeling bad, because if you feel bad, you will eat some sugar or a little bit of carbs, and you get yourself going. But one of the things you don't want to do is not eat and not take care of your muscles, especially as we get older. We want to keep those muscles, those precious muscles, strong. And similarly, you and I, daily we need to receive the blood and the body of Jesus Christ in communion with Him. You and I, we walk through Jesus is the door. And as we open through, go through the door, there's this provision that's there. He can feed us. He can take care of us. Jesus said that you and I are not to live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds out of His mouth. And so you and I, we enter into this provision and we feed on our Savior, Jesus. He opens our eyes. He shows us the truth. And if you and I would be just like Jonathan, we should take our our swords out and dip our swords tips into the honey and keep our eyes bright. I think I think somebody ought to write a book on this statement. But we live on a food diet, but our brains and our souls live on a word diet. Words. Words are, are, are absolutely important. Nothing more important than words in your heart. Words in your mind. And years ago in 2015, Lori was uh, going home. Everybody got in the car, 1,744 miles to, to home. And she got in the car and they drove home to go get uh, justly married. And I was going to join them five weeks later. And my wife wasn't there. And I hadn't been a single man for a long time. And so I clicked into those single patterns I had when I was 30. One plate, one fork, one spoon. Didn't mess anything up. Didn't have to clean anything up. But I sure needed those words on the phone. And I sure needed those text messages on the phone. Because if those words were neglected and those words were interrupted, I felt like I was going through a famine. And you and I, we need to feed on Jesus' words. And one of the ways we do that is we read or we talk about the words of Christ with each other and we, we, we sharpen each other and we talk about these things like we did yesterday with the women or the men. And we think about these things. And if you, if you start feeling shaky spiritually, maybe you're not getting enough words. <laughs> you know, we need those words. We need to pray some of those words. We need to remember not to have those words interrupted. Or we'll fill this famine in our souls. Well, that's the, that's the comparison. Let's think about the contrast. How Christ's body and blood are far better than physical food. Jesus says, my flesh is true food. And my blood is true drink. So in one sense, both of them are important for us. But in another sense, as we said, one is far better than the other. Because this one means that we are prepared for eternal life. This food is better than anything we could ever eat on this earth. It's in this flesh and this blood that was assumed by the Son of God that the blessings come. Jesus, in Him we have the divine nature putting on the human nature. In Jesus Christ we have God and man in one person, together forever. It's in this blood and in this flesh that God explains Himself to us. Jesus is there in words. Jesus is there in deeds. Every facial expression, everything that He did, He's explaining God the Father to us.
In this flesh and in this blood, there was offered up on the cross to God as a great sacrifice for our sins to bring about reconciliation with God Himself. It's this divine nature that was the altar for the flesh and the blood so that when the wrath of God was poured out on it, it wasn't destroyed. Apart from that divine nature, human nature and blood would be absolutely demolished. But this divine nature sanctifies the blood and the flesh so that when God pours out His wrath on Jesus, it was not destroyed. This divine nature dignified the sacrifice and made it sweet, a sweet fragrance to God. It's this flesh and this blood that conveys to your soul what you need. I want you to think about Niagara Falls. There's a lot of water. I I, I should have Googled it and found out a few more facts, right? How how much water is falling over Niagara Falls at one moment or second? I want you to think about the flesh and the blood of Christ like Niagara Falls. All the mercy, all the grace, all the forgiveness is flowing from the top to the bottom to you. It's all coming through the body and through the blood of Jesus Christ. This is true food. This is true drink. Is this not the best indeed thing for us to eat and drink? Nothing tastes so good as to be right with God. Nothing. We got some troubles, but nothing tastes so good as to be right with God. Well, finally, we get to eat today. We can talk about the communion. We've compared the body and blood of Jesus to the the bread and wine that we eat every day. We've talked about how it's far better than anything we eat and drink today. Jesus is far better. And so in this bread and in this wine, Jesus conveys himself to us. All the blessings. I, I try to come up with illustrations. I don't know where I got this one. But... I think it's sort of like buying a house, what we're about to do. How much paperwork do you have to do when you buy a house? Have y'all, y'all ever bought a house? You sit down and the notary public comes over and she pulls out a notebook with about a thousand pages in it. And then you sign your name 50 times, your wife signs 50 times, you initial this, initial this, initial this, initial this, right on, stamp, all that. When you do all that signing, that paperwork's not the house but it conveys the house to you. The paperwork is not the front yard, the backyard, the kitchen, but it conveys the house to you. The same thing is true in this meal. These elements are not his literal body and blood, but these elements, when they're consecrated to God, they convey Jesus Christ to you spiritually. So that when you eat and when you drink with faith in your heart, you're getting grace from him so this, this morning, as we come, Christian, you are invited. One who's professed your faith in Jesus Christ in this church or another church, you're invited to eat and drink. Are you a member of another church? Think about yourself. Are you, are you ready to eat? Are we prepared to eat and drink today? Have you been baptized? And do you submit to the leadership of your church? We're told to prepare ourselves And I don't think there's any better words than these from Luther who said this, Never are men more unfit to eat the Lord's Supper than when they think themselves most fit. Never are we more fit than when we think of ourselves as not fit or unfit. Because the person who sees himself as unfit 
will cling to the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And that righteousness makes us most fit to eat and to drink. Let's praise God for this meal. Let's put all our confidence in His righteousness. And let's eat and drink to the glory of God. Let's pray.